welcome back to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the thoughtful book club podcast featuring two friends. I'm Travis, joined as always by my co-host Amanda. Hey Amanda. Hello. Welcome back to the pod. We are here today with a book recommendation episode, which for new listeners is our attempt to persuade you to read a book. Uh, Today we'll be discussing a novel called Kim Ji Young, Born 1982, I almost said 84, (laughs) Born 1982. (laughs) By Chonam Ju, which is a Korean feminist novel. The way the podcast works is that Amanda and I give each other prompts back and forth for one another, which means one person will pick the book, the other will kind of guide the selection. For this book, I gave Amanda the prompt to pick something translated from Korean, I believe. Yeah. And Amanda, could you talk the listeners through why you chose this book? Um, I chose this book because I've got a lot of interest in uh, Korean literature and Korean American literature, which is why you gave me that prompt. Um, And I chose this one in particular because it's um, written fairly recently. It was released in Korea in 2016 um, in the midst of the Me Too movement. And um, it's very relevant to... um, what happened afterwards is that the book actually created a dialogue and spurred a lot of conversation about um, women's rights in Korea and actually changed some legislation and is um, a, a continuing force behind even more conversation in Korea about women's rights. Yeah, I think of all the works we've chosen up to this point in the pod, it is the most contempor- contemporary. I was going to say contemporaneous, which would have been incorrect. It's contemporary, though. (laughs) It deals with extremely potent and relevant kind of global or social issues. And so, yeah, a nice addition to the pod. This is going to be read straight from the cover for those still wondering what this novel is about. This is right from the back back sleeve. It is a fierce fierce, sorry, international bestseller that launched Korea's new feminist movement. Kim Ji-young, born 1982, follows one woman's psychic deterioration in the face of rigid misogyny, which, as we now will get into the official book recommendation, I think is a description that works pretty well. We like to begin our recommendations with a simile comparison to what reading this work was like. I'll go first today, Amanda, since I just had you set it up. Yeah. Mine isn't. Mine's an odd one, but I'll try and be brief about it. I thought that reading this was sort of like when you um, pick a splinter out of your hand or your finger. Splinters are unique because they are this really irritating pain, but you know you can live with them. So it's it's not like a broken bone where just medically you must seek care for it. So it's kind of this endurable pain. But once it's out, the the, the relief that comes with removing a splinter is almost greater than getting pain meds for like a broken bone or something. For some reason, it's like an ecstasy of relief. And so I'm using that simile just in terms of the style and contents of this text. So here's what I mean this here's what I mean this elaborate simile to mean. It took me a minute to kind of the style of this is such a stark is so stark and the tone of it is so straightforward that but once you get accustomed to it or once you sort of maybe understand what it's doing, then it becomes much more readable and you can kind of cruise along with the story and the contents I think is the same. It it is such a berating, and it's such a brief story too, but it berates you with so many issues. And there are so many examples of, you know, misogyny, patriarchy, and some are cultural, some are economic, systemic, all these things. But like the splinter pulling, once you just acclimate to the text a bit, or once you know its expectations, I think then you can just kind of not immerse yourself in it. I don't know if it's immersive, at least not in a positive way. 
but I found it very readable after that and just sort of appreciated what it was doing. But it is doing something unique. So that's my that's my simile, Amanda. How about for you? Any like any thoughts? Um, Hopefully it wasn't too splinter like <laughs> for you. <laughs> no. I really actually I think that the uh, the splinter your splinter analogy is pretty fitting too because with the splinter it's a constant source of like discomfort. It's never truly like really painful. It's just like something that's like kind of bothering you throughout and like this this book too is like there's nothing within it that's like super aggressive in in the way that it depicts some of the atrocities that she lives through and like has experience yeah Yeah. but it's like a discomfort sometimes to read what she has to go through so i think that's pretty fitting so many small social ills in this book Uh, there is only i i can think of one off the top of my head that would be considered like a profound scandal slash violation. But, and we won't, you know, this is just the recommendation. We're not here to spoil, so to speak, the book. But anyway, only one that I can think of. Anyway, Amanda, to your simile. Yeah. Um, I said that reading this is like going to a concert. Um, so you're completely in it with a crowd of strangers, right? These people that you, you have no idea uh, who they are. But because of this shared experience and because of like a shared um like knowledge of who you're going with like the the people who are performing and everything they don't feel like strangers that this crowd and you're filled with energy and lots of emotions and they're all like it can range according to the music but it's as you experience the music you're just experiencing it with what you feel like is like people that you actually might know um yeah yeah. and i say that from i suppose my own perspective as as a woman reading this feminist work and um just like a feeling of solidarity and knowing that other people also have witnessed or experienced some of these things yeah completely i'm gonna touch on that in my scripted pitch for this one but yes that's incredibly apt always a good feeling i think in literature when you can reach across oceans and you know, reach out emotionally or I guess spiritually, psychically, whatever, and feel so connected to, you know, an experience that is otherwise pretty foreign to a United States, let's say, listener, even an English speaking listener, because this was translated. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of a, a comfort in that. In this case, a sort of tragic comfort, I suppose. Yeah. Let's do our scripted pitches then. This is the part of the recommendation when we try and write something up it's about 200 words or so and this is when we'll present something a bit more formal maybe not as loose as the similes to again attempt to persuade you to read this with us for the next two weeks i will again take this one first i suppose um here's my scripted pitch it's okay if you don't know much about korea you may know very little you may not even remember that the u.s sort of instigated and participated in a proxy war there it was like 70 years ago But it's a story that's told so sparingly that you don't have to have deep cultural knowledge to access this or to access the work. If you're just curious, that will be more than enough. And besides, there are footnotes like literally sprinkled throughout it to fill you in on the on the sort of missing details, the official things. Korea is experiencing transitions in the novel that are both cultural and economic, which we talk about in the book club episodes, that are specific to that country, but the questions of equality it raises are not. And at the heart of the work is this intermingling of you have institutions mixing with traditions, and so the, you know, which drives the protagonist to psychosis. And so few places I can think of, certainly not where we read and come from, and, and I don't know of many English-speaking places that are untouched by legacies of patriarchy, misogyny, all of those byproducts. 
And so if visiting an unfamiliar place makes these topics more accessible, then all the more power and importance to read this. Again, even though it takes place in a country you might not know a lot about. I think it's a fair criticism of this story to wonder if all of the slights and injustices and traumas presented could befall one person. But I think that's at the heart of what makes this work. It's supposed to be an every person's story swirling together kind of a multifaceted history and distilling it into a really stark. And I want to emphasize this really unremarkably told tale. There is no, almost no style at play. It is very sparingly told. I think maybe that's cutting down some of the moments that it has stylistically, but it's it is really told in a very clear voice. And so it's a meeting of hyperbole of the contents and the banality of the style that makes for a really quick and I think devastating read, if not a quiet read too. And that's my scripted pitch. I I like the use of the word devastating there because yeah, it's, I think um, even if you have, if you're, even if you're not a, a woman reading this, right, you can still tell how devastating it is for uh, Kim Ji Young and and other women who mm-hmm. she's supposed to represent. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it is quiet in that way. And style, I think it's stylistically quiet. It obviously, it yeah. covers things that are traumatic and um, of the most utmost pressing kind of importance. But stylistically, is just told so straightforwardly. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, Amanda, when you are ready, please present your pitch for this novel. Gotcha. Um, in the midst of the international Me Too movement, Cho Nam Ju wrote a novel that has brought about significant legislative changes and a national movement encouraging discussion of women's rights, especially in the workplace in South Korea. Even if you don't have an interest in South Korean politics or social movements, this is an important novel for people of all genders, of all nations, to better understand what it's like to be a woman. Um, the social pressures, the expectations, the choices and sacrifices that are made. These are experiences that we all share to some degree. Um, and that's not just women, but it also talks about like some of the, for men too, some of those also pressures and stuff like that, that they can't escape um, culturally. The topic is relevant and important, but just because it's a must read from a philosophical and political point of view doesn't mean it's a bore to read. Quite the contrary, this novel is very easy to read and fast. The plot, the character development, the descriptions, everything. If you want to read something meaningful that won't take you a year to read, <laughs> uh, this is a great choice for you. Um, and I, I really wanted to emphasize that, yes, there's a lot of like uh, significance to the work, but it is, as you as you pointed out, it's like very sparingly told, which yeah, makes yeah. for a very quick read. So it's not not like um, reading Foucault, which we read <laughs> together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It would take the better part of a year to really understand. Uh-huh. What was that, a decade ago now? <laughs> Just kidding. It feels that way, though. <laughs> yeah. Quarantine time. Yeah, no, it's yeah. so accessible. I don't want to presume anyone out there, any listeners' reading habits. You could read this in a day if you're sort oh, of yeah. an afternoon on a weekend avid reader. You want to sink four or five hours in. Depends on how thoroughly, of course, the speed, all that. But yeah, this is, you could read this in a day. I think I ended up splitting it probably across maybe three total days of reading, like yeah. nighttime, you know? Very readable. Yeah. yeah. And I think. It, the the role of men in the story, I'm just going to leave for the book club discussion because we did get into it, but their their both presence and non-presence is incredibly felt. And I think, yeah, it's if you're going into this one, that's worth pointing out too, just to notice yeah. and think about that. 
Let's jump to some quotes for clarification then. We also like to give just a sampling of the work of the style, what you can expect to be reading, and sort of discuss how it matters or why it matters so much to the work. Amanda, let's put it on you. Go ahead with your quote when you're ready for clarification. Sure. Uh, My quote comes from pages 75 through 76, and this is when um, Ji Young's dad comes back from like a bender with his Mm -hmm. previous work buddies um, and his wife. This is like after he had quit his job and they're like entrepreneurs and stuff. And he's like boasting. So he says, um, everyone was jealous of his three children, his eldest, a teacher, his second attending university in Seoul and his youngest, a son. Um, And then at the end of the scene on the next page, it says he wrapped the blanket around him like a cape without washing first, threw himself down on the living room floor and shortly afterwards began to snore. So what I liked about this scene and, and these um, the way that she depicts everything here, Cho Namju depicts everything, is it shows a cultural attitude that's discussed often in the book where um, being male is a virtue, but for women, they have so much more to work for to be considered important in any way, right? Like his three children, his eldest is a teacher, his second is a... a a university student in Seoul, and then his youngest, the only virtue is that he's a son. Right. He was <laughs> right. he was born with what matters. Right, exactly. He's got the one thing he needs. And so he's boasting of that. And then like I love the contrast at the end there where he's like he's drunk, he's stinky, and then like he's not gonna wash up and he's like it's almost like melodramatic with like blanket as a cape. Like he sees himself as almost like a superhero figure. And then he like passes out in the living room alone in a drunken stupor. Like, I just love that because it really, that characterization of the father is just, it's, it's short. It's to the point. It's not like overly described or anything, but you get a really good sense of not only who the father is, but also how the family kind of treats the father, which is like they don't really have a whole lot of respect for him. <laughs> yeah, he's this sort of infantilized figure. And it, for right. as influential as men are in the story, there are times when it's clear that they're also not that influential, which yep. is a bit of a paradoxical situation that, yeah, again, I think we unpack that on the book clubs pretty well. I'm yeah. going to throw out my quote for clarification. This is from sixty or 59 to 60. And it's about the kind of life's or life's, that's a word now, the plural of life, (laughs) lives that young girls are living when they're growing up in Korea. And it reads, growing up, the sisters were never once told by their parents to meet a nice man and marry well, to grow up to be a good mother and a good cook. They'd done quite a lot of chores around the house since they were young, but they thought of it as helping, uh, helping out their busy parents and taking care of themselves, not learning how to be good women. When they were a bit older, the lectures they received from their parents fell into two main themes. A, habits and attitudes, and B, study hard. And then I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. Uh, There's a paragraph, sorry, about how girls were expected to do the same as boys, like, go to school. And then it says, this was a time of widespread social support for women's ambitions. In 1999, the the year Kim Il-young turned 20, new legislation against gender discrimination was introduced. And in 2001, the year Kim Ji-young turned 20, the Ministry of Gender Equality was formed. But in certain pivotal moments in women's lives, the, quote, woman stigma, stigma, sorry, reared its head to to obscure their vision, stay their hands and hold them back. The mixed signals were confusing and disconcerting. I think that the book presents pretty clear issues of misogyny and 
how women struggle against expectations, either cultural or institutionalized. But the thing about the novel, and we kind of hit this too, that that quote shows, is that it's sort of a mid-progress check-in. You know, it's like it's not outright patriarchy, but also it's it's like mid-progress. It's growing pains to an extent. Mm-hmm. And so some of the slights are kind of subtle. And I think that quote sets that up pretty well. The other thing I think is crucial from that quote is it had straight up research and statistics from the Korean government. And I think it's important to note going into this novel that it reads very factually. There are entire paragraph long digressions that just give you Korean history, basically, whether it's recent or a bit older. And so I think stylistically, that's a fair representation of it moves pretty briskly. A lot of summaries, like it's a lot of updates broad strokes about their lives and then kind of blanketed in there or buried in there are even annotations and footnotes about what's happening in korea yeah i think that's great yeah it's very factual it's um very clinically written Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i think it's again there are there are outright crimes committed in the story that are that are on the extreme end but i think Mm -hmm. the quote kind of does set up how they are stuck in a bit of a limbo where it's kind of, you know, go to university, but, oh, you can't really get hired. Or if you can, it's going to be extremely rough out there and you're going to be berated with all kinds of issues. But, hey, we, you know, you're in, aren't you? And so it's that kind of goes along with, I think, a type of glass ceiling theory where it's sort of you're in. But, I mean, are you really in? Or are you really allowed to kind of live with the same freedoms and all that stuff? So I think the, yeah. the story covers those issues pretty well. All right. Yeah. Let's move to the, I think, favorite part of the recommendation, the final part, the literary knapsack. I, th- I think it's my favorite. It's the favorite I word, I think. It. Yeah, I mean, we know we're both fans of the literary knapsack. <laughs> this is the final part of the book recommendation where we try and give you one piece of literary advice or a sort of literary thing to look out for to be, yeah, to be aware of before you begin something we think will aid you in your journey reading this work, if you decide to. Amanda, jump in with yours. I, I was going to tag team on with yours, but yeah. I, I might not in the end, but I'm going to have you begin anyway. What should the reader slash listener take into this work? Sure. Um, so what uh, we had both mentioned, especially Travis, is that um, there is a, an absence almost of style, um, which the author Chonam Jishi actually writes um, very factually. There's a lot of um, information sprinkled in there that, about like with statistics and everything else. So what I um, wanted to kind of point out is um, tone and yeah. mood. So toy, uh, bleh, sorry, tone. God, if only that word were so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? The toyn, yeah. The toyn. I think the toyn is a Irish folklore slash mythology book that I had to read in college, but it's spelled T-A-I-N, but it's pronounced oh. the toyn. Oh, well, so I'm, there we go. Beautiful. We're not reviewing the toy today. We're not even recommending <laughs> it. My recollection of it is that it was not that fun to read. So anyway, please continue, oh, Amanda. I'm ready to toy it up. What a beautiful title. But. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, so tone is the attitude of a writer toward a subject or an audience. So it's uh, when we look at author's word choice, um, the verbs that the person uses, any adjectives and adverbs and stuff like that, or even the viewpoint of the writer, um, that is how we can determine what the tone is. In the yep. case of this novel, the we want to pay in particular attention to the choice of the narrator, or, or yeah, who the narrator is of the story, and also like the voice of the narrator. That's where we're going to get a lot of that tone. But again, yeah. our 
we discussed kind of like that the tone is very stark. It's very clinical, right? Oh, yeah. This is not to be confused with mood. Um, and so mood is, if, if we think of tone as the attitude of the author, mood is the attitude or feelings of the reader, right? So this mm-hmm. is how even, which is, it seems contrary, right? With, with something that where the tone is so stark, so factual, so um, matter of fact, how can that create feelings in the reader, right? How can that affect the mood of the reader? It seems like, what? But it does, right? Authors use tone as well as setting, theme, and voice to produce a certain mood. So even though the tone is clinical here, that does not mean that we as the reader will feel that. In fact, we feel quite the opposite. Um, We often feel emotionally charged um, as we um, witness some of the things that uh, Ji Young goes through and witnesses. So I just wanted to show the contrast between those two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is such a strong contrast too. If you feel even a tiny, if you're even a tiny bit sympathetic, empathetic to issues within women's rights movements or feminist movements, whatever, then yeah, it it does strike a really intense mood despite its tone. The only thing I I would mention about the tone as well, I think I'll tag in on this one. I have a brief little addendum to the knapsack, but yeah, the only thing, other thing I'd mention about the tone is that it is very purposefully done. And we address this in the book clubs if you decide to listen in with us, but there are reasons for it and whether or not you think the story pays that off or not is a different kind of, that's a more in-depth discussion for not this episode, but it, it is purposefully done and it does lend to brisk reading, if not really intense reading too. The only other thing mm-hmm. I'd like to toss in the knapsack real quick before we buckle it up and send you listeners on your merry way. I just mentioned that there's footnotes in here. I actually couldn't find in the Oxford or the Penguin Literary Dictionaries footnotes or annotations. Those are literally not in either of those, which I found really odd. But yeah, mm. there there are footnotes and annotations in this work. So it will appear and look very much like a researched article or something. You know, it's like Chicago style. They're at the bottom of the page. Just be aware of that. I don't think I want to set up whether or not I, I believe that worked or not. But they're there, and they are absent voice. They are very research-like. It's just, hey, here's where I found this information. I'm presenting it to you from an official source that you could go look up, and it's been researched and vetted and all that stuff. And those are in there. I think, yeah, I I would be, I don't know, entering, maybe saying a bit too much if I expanded on what I thought of them or how they functioned. But -hmm. just be aware that they're there and you're not seeing things and no, none of them have commentary. It is just there as kind of a factual backbone. Yeah. And you don't have to do any kind of like heavy research before you read this or anything like that. You can do research later if you want to, but yeah, not necessary before you start reading. No, it's so relatable. The only sort of culturally specific Korean things I can think of that when I read them, I didn't have an immediate touchstone were just the food trends. But then again... The whole food cycle, food trend thing. I mean, the U.S., there's pop-up restaurants all the time. There's, you know, what's the hot new um, cuisine? What's the hot new snack food? It's kind of like, oh, you know, it's fried chicken sandwiches now. Oh, it's a burger place now. Oh, it's sushi. Like, even that, like, in the story, their family kind of goes through that where they're trying to sort of read the culture and read the economy of what they should turn restaurants into. But even Mm -hmm. what they were making, because I think at one point it was like a rice porridge place or something. Yep. 
And so, yeah, that, that quite literally, I think that's the only moment where I just thought, oh, I've never been to a rice porridge restaurant before. Like, I don't know what that would be or what that would be like or what they would serve. It's Every, delicious. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I believe it. And it, quite literally, everything else in the story, extremely relatable, very clearly told. Absolutely yep. no barriers to entry. So there's yep. that, for better and worse. Okay, I think that concludes our recommendation. Amanda, any final thoughts on the Kim Ji Young that you chose? Nope, I, I really enjoyed it, and I think that it's a great read for really anybody. My, uh, Me too, sorry. Uh, quite illuminating and very quick to read. Yeah, that I can't really think of a reason not to recommend it. Uniquely told, too, and it will, I think, bumping up against a couple of the other things we chose, its style is, was quite unique, and I think that's interesting for its own reasons, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, a couple official matters before we close out. We are, again, the Lightly Literary Podcast. We will be doing book club episodes over the next two weeks covering Kim Ji-young, born 1982, and th- so those will be analytical deep dives on the work. If you're not interested in those, that's okay. Follow us on social media anyway. We're at the Lightly Literary Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And also, you can always rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. We do have other books coming up. We always pick about three or four ahead. So the next three books in order that we'll be covering them are Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid, and The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. We're not going to talk about those in more depth today, but just wanted to draw your attention to those in our social media feeds. If you want to check back in with a later book that is perfect for us, we would love to have you for another read in the near future. Amanda, again, any final thoughts for today? I'm all good. Excellent. Okay, we'll go pick up that book. We'll see you in the next two weeks, and we will, of course, as always, see you between the pages. 